3: Hello and welcome to Humans of Excess Manchester with me, Clint Boone. Every week we'll be celebrating the spirit of Manchester by speaking to someone who's helped shape the city. This week I'm joined by Graham Park, legendary Hacienda name and pioneering DJ. You'll hear Graham describing the buzz of the Hacienda.
4: Go up there, go in the front door, in the door, through those kind of plastic things.
3: Yeah. Oh my God,
4: what the hell? And it was bedlam.
3: He'll also talk about how much Manchester means to him and how he's often thought of as an honorary mank
4: despite his Scottish roots. I'm a proud Scot but I was proud to be part of this city and I like to think that when I've travelled around the world I'm, I'm kind of representing this yeah.
3: city. It gives a great pleasure to welcome to the studio a man that I've got to know pretty well over the years and uh, it's fair to say we've shared many a DJ booth together. Usually, when I've been uh, warming up for him, Mr. Graham Park. How oh, are you? Hi,
4: Clint. How are you, superstar DJ? Thank you for having me. No, 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 no. That's all nonsense.
3: Superstar no, I'm going to, I'm going to do that because you were one of the first of that genre that we call superstar DJ. You were like, right, you were one of the first ones that was getting flown about by helicopters and
4: all that and daft money. Those days are behind you now, aren't Can they? I, hang on. <laughs> Can I just say that this helicopter myth? It, People keep bringing up, there was never a helicopter. The yeah, only time I've been in a helicopter was on my honeymoon in, in the Rocky Mountains of Canada, right? and that wasn't gig-wise. And you got your chopper out there, did yeah, you? Yeah, I did, yeah, many times.
3: What about the, the fees? Like back in the in the like the late 80s when all this superstar DJ thing happened, people were talking about like 20 grand an hour, and you know, you know, people like Oak
4: and Fall and Weatherall would be literally doing three of those in a night. Yeah, I mean, fees were a bit crazy late 80s and 90s. And I've never got 20 grand for a gig, I have to say. And then up towards the mid to late 90s, it all just went crazy. Uh, but I'm glad to say that things have kind of gone back to normal, really. And, and I mean, I, I, I do all right. I think my fees, are nothing like it was in the 90s, but I think it's, it's, it's a good value for money, put it yeah, that way. Yeah. But yes, there are... The Guettas and the Harrises oh, yeah. uh, and some of the Americans do still command ridiculous money. Paul Van Dyke. But they're not necessarily the best Yeah, they're not, they're not Graham Park, are they? <laughs> <laughs> there's only one Graham Park. There's oh, no, a... actually, there's a mansion in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia Pennsylvania. Sorry, okay. in Pennsylvania. If you Google Graham Park, Pennsylvania, there's yeah. a mansion, a historic mansion in uh, Pennsylvania called Graham Park. Oh, amazing. And... Uh,
3: yeah, so is not it spelled one. the
4: same way? It's spelled the same way, and it was it was built by a, a Scotsman from Aberdeen, and I'm right. a Scotsman from Aberdeen, in 17 something. So
3: there <laughs> might be a link. I found on the internet the other day. I stumbled across Clint Boone Car Garage in New Zealand. Brilliant. It's spelled the same way as me.
4: Yeah.
3: We're going to talk more about your DJing in a bit. We're going to talk about your latest project, Embrace the New, which mm. is a, a great documentary thing that you're working on. We'll talk about the Hacienda Classical, which is phenomenal. That's something Mm, you've put together in recent years. But let's start at the beginning, because this is all about the spirit of uh, Mancunians and Manchester City. You're obviously not from here. You're originally from Aberdeen, aren't you? I am
4: from Aberdeen. I left when I was very little, and I grew up in Fife, which is a little county just over the fourth from Edinburgh. But then moved to the East Midlands uh, in the uh, early 80s with my dad got a job and um, played in bands um which i did I, i've always done i play saxophone and do a bit of Well, like, you know you know when you'd know one instrument you can always do bits of other. so i used yeah. to play in bands saxophone bit of guitar keyboard and and lead vocals which is we'll come to why that's relevant later uh got a job in a record shop in nottingham selected disc and the guy who bought the record shop bought a nightclub he didn't ask me he told me because of the music i played in the shop he he wanted to be his dj i reluctantly agreed and very quickly after that, realised that one, I absolutely loved being a DJ. Mm. And two, I was quite good at it. So I um, gave up playing in the bands, which didn't go down well with the bands, one of the bands, because we were having a couple of record companies sniffing around us. You know, okay. and we did some support slots for the Blow Monkeys. So I was not very popular when I said I'm giving it up to, right. to be a DJ. Mainly because I, you got <laughs> to play for four hours. You got to play music that I loved and everyone else seemed to love it it was a real eclectic mix of stuff but the 25 quid you got at the end of the night i didn't have to split it with four other people (laughs) and the drummer's girlfriend for doing the the guest list (laughs) and i didn't have to bother about setting up pas or hiring a van or lugging equipment about i thought i'll give that a go give this a go for a while well that was 1984. Mm -hmm. what 35 35 years ago
3: and what records are we playing because this is before the house and the yeah well early
4: 80s so Lots of twelve-inch dance. Anyway, everyone used to have a twelve-inch dance mix, right? So obviously things like New Order, things like I mean, I remember I remember everything's gone green twelve-inch version by, by New Order was a massive tune, and things yeah. like Confusion by New Order, and then of course Blowmonkey's Monkey twelve-inch, Human League, ABC, Talking Heads, but mixed in with that a bit of Motown, a bit of Stacks, and then obviously. Uh, look, I've always collected disco, so like things like Sister Sledge, Sheep, Donna Summer, but some more kind of obscure disco, and then uh, early early eighties the uh el- hip hop electro thing, Africa Bombata, Jones and Crew, you know Planet yeah. Rock all that that came along. Yeah. And then that <clears throat> kind of morphed into Big Daddy Kane, Roxanne Shanté, and all the early proper hip-hop that sampled James Brown. And a lot of these album. are
3: names that ultimately you became friends with these people, you well, people like Arthur yeah, Baker and exactly. But then in
4: 1985, that's when the first um, house records, but they weren't called house records, I vividly remember, in fact, there was a record called uh, Music is the Key by J.M. Silk, which was Keith Nanali, who was like a soul vocalist, and Steve Silk Hurley, who went on to have fame for Jackie Body. And that was, this, this was my first ever house record. I thought, what's this? This looks strange put it on, oh my God. And that was closely followed by records by Juan uh, Atkins from Detroit, Chippy from Chicago. And that eventually became house music. Yeah. And as we all know, it kind of took over. And then summer 88, I get asked, oh, and I met Mike Pickering in 87 at an ID photo shoot. We got to know each other. I was familiar with his work with T-Coy and Kwando Quango, and, and I knew he'd, uh, and I'd been to the last band to see bands, but never for a club night. And then he called me in 88 said, I'm off on holiday for three weeks. Do you want to cover? I'd love to. At the and, Hacienda. At the Hacienda. <clears throat> and I had no idea what... I'd been to the Hacienda with lots of men in fringes and buttoned up raincoats, you know. Yeah. Um, the indie kids. I'd been to see Crispy Ambulance there. I'd been to see Deruti Column. I'd been to see um, New Order and Orange Juice, Joseph K, Aztec Camera, all those bands. I used to get the train up from Nottingham. Yeah. And uh, just kill time till 6am and get the first train back never been to a club night so i go mike says you got to come up before you cover for me because it's changed a bit since you were last year yeah <laughs> go up there go in the front door in the door through those kind of plastic things yeah oh my god what the hell and it was bedlam and of course everything fell into place i realized why it was bedlam yeah why is everybody happy and all that exactly and then uh did the three fridays uh on my own I remember those three Fridays probably better than any nights ever. Mike came back, gives me a call. I heard it went great. Do you want to come and do it with me every week? Oh my god, yes! And then that was me doing the hacienda, and then that led to me going on Kiss FM when it launched, and then because that was uh, based in Manchester well, When it well, that kissed. was based in Manchester, my introduction to the radio Sunday yeah. Sunday afternoons, which was uh, a bit weird after staying up all night after hacienda on a Saturday. Yeah, and apart
3: from those primal moments in the hacienda primals the word i always used to describe mm. what it was like apart from that how did you adapt to life in manchester back then did you fight
4: did you feel at home yeah always i mean obviously i'm from aberdeen but uh you know when i started at hacienda pre-internet days pre-social media days people just assumed i was uh, a mank, and there's nothing wrong with that you know i'm a proud Scot, but i was proud to be part of this city and People who are proper, true, hundred percent, born and bred Manx have often said that I'm an honorary Manx, which is quite an, an honour, I think. Yeah. But it used to be funny travelling around the world or travelling around the country, and you'd get off, get met at the train station or the airport, or picked up from your hotel, and like, oh, you don't sound like you're from Manchester. Well, I'm not actually. I'm <laughs> from Aberdeen. But uh, that that's fine. But the 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 funniest thing is when um, obviously at Hacienda, the club that New Order. Tony Wilson, Rob Gretton, Alan Rasmus, Factory Records were involved in. That's kind of uh, kudos you can't buy. So I used to get a lot of uh, new gigs, and there's was a club in Aberdeen called Fever that contacted me via fax. Turn up a that. bit of fax. fax for you, Parky. <laughs> Can you call this number? We're a club in Aberdeen. We want to book you. So I replied by fax. We did it all by fax. So I flew up to Aberdeen and uh, got met at the airport. And the guy, who's now one of my best friends, fellow fellow Aberdeen supporter, um, one of my best friends, and he met me at, at the airport, and he goes, "Oh my god, you, you don't sound, you sound Scottish." He went, "I am Scottish. I'm actually from Aberdeen." He's like, "Oh my god, people are going to freak out when they find out that you're one of us." I Went, "What are they going to do when I take my jacket off?" And I undid my jacket, Aberdeen's current home strip on, right? Yeah. He said, "Oh <clears> my <throat> god!" And they did. They was like, everyone was like, kind of on that kind of club that rave level yeah took my jacket off got a big announcement on the mic everyone went mental that was then then that was my new monthly sunday night residency in my home city which yeah. was quite good but yeah manchester's been uh great to me and um i like to think that when i've traveled around the world i'm i'm kind of representing the yeah. city you're
3: still synonymous with the city the way i say it, it's like mm. everybody
4: knows you're scottish but you are part of the furniture it had, it, 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 it's a couple of times it's backfired i remember in 1989 i I could not believe my luck when Peter Hook. Asked me to go on tour with New Order, and and going back to an earlier conversation when I was playing New Order records, and I went to see New Order when they played in Nottingham. Next thing, I'm I'm friends with them because mm. they, they they own the, the hacienda. Peter Hook said, "Right, you, you're taking six weeks off the Haas. Michael'll be fine on his own. You're coming with us. We're doing our North American tour, 1989. if you look online, it was the last tour New Order did in North America. Right. Well, certainly with with Hookie anyway." And there I was flying round the US with New Order, DJing on the lineup with uh, Public Image Limited and the Sugar Cubes featuring Bjork, yeah. right? And playing house music on stage before New Order. And when we were in San Francisco, some somebody gets in touch at the hotel. I was at the Hollywood Holiday Inn. In fact, I met George Clinton in the Hollywood Holiday Inn. That's another story for another time. Did he mention me? No, he didn't. No. <laughs> Sorry. But... Um, Get a message at the hotel. This guy, he owns a clothes shop slash record shop, on Hate and Asprey, and he's a, he's from Manchester. It would be his honor if I would come and DJ in a shop. And he made made some flyers out and everything. I went, I'd love to. Got a taxi down there with my bag of records. Turn up. He's like, oh, I can't believe you're here. Da, da, da. And after a few minutes of conversation, he went, Hang on a minute. You don't sound like you're from Manchester. I'm, well, I'm not. I mean, I'm from from Aberdeen, originally, and he's like, head in his hands like, no, <laughs> no. Oh, I'm really sorry, mate. You can't DJ in my club, in my, in my shop. You're not a monk. I'm like, what difference what, what is it, mate? No, I'm sorry, man. No, you can't, can't. And he wouldn't let me DJ. Wow. That's incredible. the one time it backfired, yeah.
3: That's incredible. Mate. How did you feel when the Ascender came to its uh, sticky end after the, the drug deaths, the shootings, mm. the closures, then the, the demolition eventually? How
4: did that affect you? Well, it was sad, but you know what? I think it was time to kind of move on. Um, I'd stop doing it every week because like, every, all good things have to come to an end. And Hacienda, unlike most big super clubs, it, it was never meant to be a super club. It, mm. it, was, it happened organically. It was a shambles behind the scenes. And then like any organic thing, it kind of reached a natural conclusion and died. So I wasn't that bothered because I'd already stopped doing weekly Saturdays towards the end. I was doing monthly Saturdays so uh, it was sad uh in people were like absolutely mortified but i thought okay that's it that's that chapter closed mm-hmm. time to move on because i was already um doing lots of, lots of lucrative work elsewhere and uh and i thought that well, that's it we've had it's had its moment but then of course around early 2000s about four or five years after it closed all these kind of unofficial hacienda reunion nights so or hacienda classics nights started appearing in and around manchester mm. and of course peter hook who owns the hacienda brand was not happy about this understandably and then it was oliver wilson the late, the late great tony Wilson's son who said to hooky we should do a hacienda proper hacienda night with your blessing mm. so we did it and it was incredible and that led to doing the odd official one and then um it kind of, about well, five years ago, it, uh, we did the 30th birthday party in the car park underneath the Hacienda apartment. Yeah.
3: So the same space that was the, like the Gay Traitor bar and the, the absolutely, basement, absolutely.
4: that's where you did the uh, the, the reunion. Well, and, the, it, and that was an incredible night to see people you hadn't <coughs> seen for 10 years, for 15 years, queuing up on Whitmer Street West, City Road. All right,
3: bye, okay. <laughs> as you get as you're getting out of
4: your taxi and that kind of buzz in the air. Because one thing I miss, the, the, people ask me what I miss most about Hacienda, um, when you used to walk up to the front door on a Friday night between 88 and 92, and there was a, this real buzz on that junction. Yeah. Um, uh, real buzz in the air, real atmosphere, and people getting out of taxis and people shouting to their mates in the queue and trying to jump in the queues. So, oh, it's me, mate, I'm joining the queue here. And and people shouting, "Hey, parking!" That was just electric, and yeah. you knew from the moment you were waiting to get outside the anticipation of what was about to happen inside. And the thing is, p- people did what they don't do now. As soon as the doors opened at nine, people would just rush in, yeah. and it was straight on the dance floor. And from nine thirty till two, from eighty eight to ninety two, it was just a hundred miles an hour, full on, amazing. And I, I do miss that because now. There's more choice for people. There's more DJs. Things are a lot more defined. So if you want um, a specific type of dance music or a specific type of indie music or whatever, there's a DJ in a club to cater for that very niche market. Mm-hmm. Whereas and admittedly what Mike Pickering and I did was was very house orientated. We did like to throw in the odd random thing. I mean like after Mike left into them people and I moved to Saturdays and stayed, I used to love dropping random tunes but people remember those nights Vernon Kay is for always saying on his various radio shows I remember the night Parky played Prince Raspberry Beret <laughs> and, and 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 people do or the yeah. night I played uh, Ghost Town by The Specials people come up to me and go do you remember the night he played The Specials Ghost Town and, and that's why I did that because I thought I wonder if people will remember rather than that whole period being a blur by dropping weird records like Carly Simon's Why was one of them yeah or it's things like that were a bit different and then before going back to the 125 BPM. And and there were great special times. Yeah. yeah,
3: good moments. And recently you've sort of resurrected the uh, Hacienda spirit through very successful as well, the, the phenomena, which is Hacienda Classical. And I've seen it a few times. I can honestly say I've said this publicly as well, that it's one of the most euphoric uh, live experiences I've ever witnessed at a music event, the Hacienda Classical.
4: Tell us how that came about, because you were you're instrumental in its creation. Well, you still are with it, aren't you? First of all, thank you for those comments, because like, I really appreciate that. We we'd all appreciate those comments, because a lot of hard work goes into it. How it came about was, as the Hacienda Club brand began to pick up and become a big thing again, a lot of younger uh, clubbers who were too young to go to Hacienda, some of whom weren't even born, were like, oh, this new Hacienda, our parents have told us about the Hacienda, and it's the original DJs, Park and Pickering, so they come along. But the thing is, a young clubber, they've got they don't come with that baggage that an older clubber has. They don't they just want to hear great music. They don't yeah. care <clears throat> if it's It's got to be contemporary, hasn't it? Exactly. So so Mike and I, as DJs who still work regularly, it's great because you get to play newer stuff. But of course, your older clubber who used to go to Hacienda, they're like, Oh, come on, Parky. When are you going to get the proper classics on? And you're like, Oh <laughs> You're in the minority here. I'm really sorry. But and then you, or, or or you would Mike and I love dropping the forgotten classics, like all the old Strictly Rhythm tracks that um, got forgotten about, or the Nervous tracks, or whatever, or the Obscure Chicago and Detroit techno tracks. And it's annoying when someone who's old enough to have been to Hacienda and claims they were a Hacienda regular don't recognise these old tracks. That that really annoys me. Mm. So Mike and I one night said, what can we do? We, we, we don't want to alienate our original followers. We need something new. And after many a beer... It's uh, four a.m. in a hotel bar. We said as a joke, we should do one, do a classical thing as a joke, and then two musicians uh, came down for breakfast with their instruments. And we thought, yeah, there's that classical thing. Maybe we should do it. Serendipity. Uh, I had to sell the idea to Hookie, <laughs> who reluctantly agreed to try it as a one-off, and it went that one-off at the Bridgewater Hall, which was a shambles, ended up. The following meet being much better yeah then it was royal albert hall and then it was a whole tour yeah then 2017 bigger and better tour and this year an even bigger and better tour. Mm. and to go back to what we said earlier before as a dj i sang in a band by to cut a long story short because i had to cover for peter hook uh when he when he couldn't turn up to a show i somehow ended up singing blue monday gladly oh, i lost in the classical yeah hooky said right if i'm not there you're doing blue monday so this year, Hookie was like, you need your own song. So as well as doing Blue Monday occasionally, I I did our version of Rock the Casbah. To yeah. sing, because Rock the Casbah, I chose that because we used to play that Hacienda because the 12-inch dub mix of that, but it's mainly instrumental, very dubby. Yeah. And we used to play that Hacienda. So I thought, let's try that. And it was in my key. But to sing one of the greatest... Um, Oh, pop records ever yeah. by one of the one of the greatest bands ever I'm a massive Clash fan with a, with a 70 piece orchestra and the string section such a buzz so
3: do you see that when I went I didn't see the first Bridgewater gig, but about a month after you did it again and you got the sound mm. improved and that was from the second it started it was just euphoric it was like the Hacienda at its peak to me yeah. do you see that from the stage now do you still see that with the Hacienda classical do you still get um the vibe, as you did back in the 80s, looking down on the Asiana dance floor from that DJ booth. Uh,
4: no, absolutely. Now, the, 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 it's, it, it varies. It depends on the venue. So, for example, ca- the, the three Castlefield Arena shows and the Bridgewater Hall shows, the euphoria from the audience, from the Manchester audience, has mm. just been spectacular. And it and it affects everyone on stage. So, straight away, you, you Mike and I are pacing up and down on our e backstage, getting really nervous. And then we go on and it's really euphoric and we do it. But even the Royal Albert Hall, because there's a lot of like former Hacienda heads who live in London. Mm. So the Royal Albert Hall was incredible. We opened Glastonbury last year, the pyramid stage, 55,000 people. You you, you feed yeah. off that energy. Some gigs, some of the gigs, maybe the audience aren't immediately um, so euphoric, but then they get there. A lot of the southern gigs, for example, you know what the softy southerners are like. <laughs> but by the by, fifteen twenty minutes in, by the fourth or fifth song, then they got, it. and then and then it kind of has an effect on you. Yeah. But it's it's it's, a, it's a phenomenal. We never thought it would last three years, and here we are. I'm already planning next year's show. Yeah, we're already we're, we're confirmed for Castlefield Arena. Don't ask me the dates, because that's embargoed for now. But right. we're back at Castlefield Arena. Brilliant. We're back at the Royal Albert Hall next year. And a couple of big festivals as well, but I can't tell you which ones.
3: Right. And the Manchester thing—it's—it's it's almost like seventy percent of the vibe of ascending the classical is the Manchester vibe. Oh no, it? absolutely, absolutely. So what is it about this spirit of this city? You know, regardless of music, what what is it about the people, the geography, what makes it so special in terms of you know another city in the world? Manchester is—it's the place. Well I, well, I
4: well I've got I've got a few answers here. I think it's a northern thing, right? There's, there's a very much, a, a vibe and spirit in the north that doesn't exist elsewhere in the country. And I think as a Scotsman, which is a different type of north altogether, I think I can say that, because I come from a, a very proud country, but I see in Manchester that same kind of kind of spirit mm. that that a nationalist Scots, Scots person would have. There's a very kind of uh, Manchester kind of angst that's always stood out in its music. Uh, I mean, when I was younger and, and a massive worked in a record shop, anything on factory records, I would get really excited about, even Crispy Bloody Ambulance, you know, the column. And and Tony Wilson, his famous quote, which, I mean, some people say, oh, we've had that quote, but I'm going to say it again because it's so important. When Tony Wilson said, this is Manchester, we do things differently. Mm -hmm. I'm not a mank, but that's a quote that I regularly come out with. And that's what we did with the Classical. Mike and I thought... We need if we want to keep our original fans happy, we need to do it differently. And that's why we came up with Hassan the Classical. And the support has been phenomenal, the love has been phenomenal, especially in Manchester. But one thing that people forget is that the music in the show, ninety-five percent of it was never ever performed live by the original artists. Mm-hmm. It was all made in studios in Chicago, in Detroit, or in Manchester or yep. London or whatever, and just released on a record maybe a singer would mime to it on top of the pops yeah. or do a live PA in a club to the instrumental version, but never recorded, never performed live. Marshall Jefferson, when he saw us doing three of his songs in the first year, he said there was tears in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. now that But Marshall Jefferson, Chicago house music legend, he lives in Manchester. That's just mad, isn't
3: it? I've never met him yet, but I know he's here.
4: Yeah, he's he's fantastic. And we've got
3: Alexander O'Neill as well, living across the river here. Exactly. Apparently.
4: Yeah, isn't <laughs> yeah. it?
3: Okay. Let's talk about this new project that you... Um, it's very early days. It's a, a TV or film documentary, a documentary. yeah, music documentary. And it's about people like us mm. getting old and still going out there, doing the raving, doing the party making people dance, not letting
4: age get in the way. That's the theme of it. It's called Embrace the New. What inspired that? Well, people like yourself, because you're one of our contributors, and thank you again for being part of it basically um i've got a friend of mine called glenn hanstock who's an award winning uh, filmmaker and uh, we've thrown out we got a lot in common we we, we lecture together in in, uh, in my other job as a senior lecturer we lecture together and we throw our ideas around for a documentary and we couldn't ever his ideas were all like nah glenn i've done so many interviews and they've never come out no and my, he was the same with my ideas he's like no that's not got that's not got legs <laughs> and then last uh, spring I got asked to DJ the 100 Club with Black Grape. And I, I said yes, because, God, the 100 Club, legendary venue, Sex Pistols, Rolling Stones, you know, lots of jazz legends. So yeah. I just wanted, wasn't bothered about Black Grape. I just wanted to DJ at the 100 Club. Thought, kind of expected Black Grape were going to be doing their hits or their um, old, their back catalogue. But no, there was Sean Ryder on stage, the clean Sean Ryder, mm-hmm. with Black Grape playing new material their, new al- their last album and the band were tight as anything and Sean he's different with Black Grape than he is with Happy Mondays his energy his enthusiasm and the way he worked the crowd and I'm like gobsmacked going oh my god and I told Glenn Hanstock about this and he said that's the, do- that's the documentary because he said you doing the Classical Sean with Black Grape Noel Gallagher's uh, lit last album uh, johnny Mars material and i went i know all these people mm-hmm. and he said right let's let's try and make it so i with like with yourself and everyone else i mentioned rowetta peter hook melanie williams uh jane casey from liverpool used to be in pink military yeah um just contact them all do you want to be in our documentary i'm very lucky and i'm sure you get this this as well whatever you want parky i'll help you out mm. we're going to hopefully get no no agreed to To be in it. We're talking to Rasheen Murphy, Nana Cherry, Boy George. Basically the concept is older creatives who rather than just rely on their back catalogue are continuing to move forward just to keep you know the spirit of of youth and and, and energy and moving forward alive and it's really really an an exciting project and thank Mm -hmm. you for for supporting us and for being part of our launch Um, we really appreciate it but it's like you what you're doing here on the radio and still playing amazing club gigs. There's no need to hang up your headphones or hang up your guitar or hang up your creativity when you get to your 40s. You know, push forward. And, and I think our generation, I firmly believe, we're the first kind of generation that's refused to grow up yeah totally we, we we keep the faith we we, we keep going and it's like i
3: said to you last night we're the generation that never stopped going out as well exactly. you know particularly that that mike um fraternity that used to go to the the end is still out on, on the town every night yeah but
4: you don't you I mean we had this discussion don't you find that uh, i do a lot of gigs now where the age range of the audience is from 19 mm. to late 50s or yeah. even older and they just, everyone just gets on when i started dj in the early 80s if you saw anyone over 40 in a nightclub they just stood out like a sore thumb now it's like yes but there's lots of them I
3: do I I still do South Nightclub every Saturday night nearly 18 years and one of the things I absolutely love about it and it's quite unique I think is that people that have been coming there for 18 years are now bringing their kids to meet me you know (laughs) the the, the first drink with the dad at 18 years old come and see Clint Exactly, Clint this is my daughter this is my son I get get that and then the other way around is youngsters who've discovered the club bringing their mums and dads to the club <laughs> to see me to meet me that's and good. that's like like I said back in the day that was unheard of wasn't it if mm-hmm. you were over 30 in a club people would be pointing at you No, oh,
4: exactly um, you know one thing on that parent uh, thing um, in my other job as a senior lecturer uh, creative media technology that I do which is like TV radio music production etc self-employment in the creative industries uh, a lot of the students in that you know late teens early 20s when I do my introductory lecture this is who I am this is what I've done most of them are like yeah yeah whatever but then within the next two or three weeks, they'll turn up to lectures going, uh, Great, I'm have a word. <laughs> my mum can't believe <laughs> that you're my lecturer. Brilliant. I'm like, Ah. Oh. And she sent me this CD, can you sign it? Which I think is quite, quite fun. Yeah. But, um, yeah. If I was to ask
3: you, who are your favourite ever humans of Manchester, past or present? Who would they be? Just because three
4: or four names. I would definitely say uh, Tony Wilson, without a question. Such an inspirational figure, someone who just always supported everyone around him and encourage you to just do, do your thing. I mean, he never interfered with what Mike and I were doing. And as much as a, a miserable mank that he is, I'd say Mike Pickering, who's been a, a really good friend since I met him in 87 and mm. through the highs and through the lows of our uh, various careers and our paths crossing and stuff. And I can imagine it's quite a controversial one. Peter Hook has been becoming, in, certainly since the closed, a very good friend and, and working with him on the Hacienda Classical has been just an amazing experience, yeah. and um, again, he's 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 a lovely, lovely man, despite what some people might say about
3: it It's funny because these are people who are you know I know I know them well, and it's with okay with Manny, with Bonehead, with Liam Gallagher to some extent as well. They're still exactly the same people that they no, were exactly before the well, fame I mean, arrived. You, you, know?
4: you as well, you've always been. Clint to me, Noel Gallagher's fiftieth birthday party. I mean, he's just Noel, isn't he? he's just Noel. Used to come to Asiento with yeah. his with his daft brother, and and this just you know, I'm I'm very proud to 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 call these people friends. You know? Yeah.
3: Last question, Mr. Park. Describe Manchester in three words. Oh
4: wow, uh, proud, beautiful, and inspiring. Beautiful. That's the city to me.
3: Graham Park. Thank you for being a human of Excess Manchester. Thanks
4: for having me. That was Graham
3: Park. Make sure you join us next week where I'll be speaking to Mancunian historian and genealogist Michaela Hume. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to Humans of Excess Manchester. Rate us, feel free to leave us a comment. We love hearing your feedback and please share the podcast if you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. See you next week.